I share with you uh, at the beginning of this series, this Make Your Mark series, that, that the root of it uh, was, was founded in, in, uh, in, a, in an image that was drawn to my mind whenever uh, my son and my father and I were in uh, Big Bend Ranch State Park last spring break, and we were hiking, and as we were hiking, uh, the, the trails at times were not well marked, and so the hikers marked the trail for one another, uh, putting rocks stacked upon one another. And it took me a little while before my mind recalled uh, another time when I was hiking as a kid, and I wish I remembered where. It might have been Enchanted Rock. It might have been in Colorado. But it was, it was another such circumstance where I was hiking with my dad, and, and it was a similar uh, uh, experience in seeing these rocks stacked upon one another, but there was one particular stack of rocks that sticks in my mind uh, because it, it wasn't just uh, five or ten or fifteen rocks that were stacked upon each other. We actually came to the, the peak of the mountain, which was obviously the point that everybody had been hiking towards and everybody had been working to achieve this, this great climb. And you get to the top of the hike, and you are at the mountaintop, and you see that the, the, the marked trail with marks of stones then ends up being a huge mountain of stones that people have lifted one on another. And it's not 5 or 10 or 20, but it was more like 200. And it was just this mountain of stones, six and a half, seven feet tall, that just added another set of height on top of the mountain. And, 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 and I think about that experience in light of the text we're going to read today, that, that, that when, when, whenever we make our mark, it's not just about the mark being a witness for the next person or being the way for you to know where to go uh, as you return, but sometimes uh, you make such a substantial mark that you arrive in such a profound place that it is then uh, seemingly the responsibility you have uh, to set that uh, mark so that everybody knows that they have the same opportunity to set the same mark. Are there marks that you can make in your life, in the world, that can actually change the world? Change the world around you. This morning, Scripture comes to us from uh, Philemon. Uh, there is only one chapter, so we will be reading from the first chapter. Uh, we're going to begin at verse 1. Uh, I thought about reading the entire chapter so that you could all go home and post on Facebook or text your parents that you read an entire book of the Bible today. Uh, but we're going to come up four verses short, so if you want to make that claim just in your own way when I'm done reading, you could read four more verses and make that claim. Uh, it is, uh, if you're looking for uh, Philemon, it is uh, at the end of the New Testament, almost Revelation. If you flip back, it's prior to Hebrews after 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus, and so that's where you'll find it. But again, it is not a simple uh, book of the Bible to find because it is yet one chapter. We're going to begin in verse 1 and read through verse 21, and together we're going to hear the word of the Lord. Paul is writing this, and he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, 
our dear friend and co-worker and Athea, our sister to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith towards the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love, and I, Paul, do this as an old man, and now also as a prisoner for Christ, now I am appealing to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to both you and to me. I am sending him, that is, my own heart back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave. A beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing about your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I am writing to, to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in indeed its hearing. And so we give thanks together for the word of God. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, we do come before you with praise and thanksgiving for your holy word and the wisdom that's contained therein. Lord, we ask that you would offer us a glimpse of, a glimpse of, of your heart today. Lord, as we focus our attention on, on your word, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see, open our ears, that we would hear, open our minds, we would come to know and understand your word, and indeed, your will open our hearts that we would feel its power. And by your grace, we ask, O oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is a letter written from Paul to Philemon. And, and whenever you have this letter uh, it, it, it is filled with tremendous persuasion tools. 
Uh, there, there are more persuasion tools contained in this one chapter of text than I could have the time uh, to teach on in this entire day, much less this sermon. So I would invite you uh, to, to, to take that as your homework, to go back home and to look at all of the different ways that Paul is persuading Philemon to uh, do one specific thing. Now, now, it's full of such persuasion, you might have missed the specific thing that Philemon is actually ask, uh, asked to do. So I want uh, to, us to focus our attention on, on just one segment of verses because it, it makes clear what is being asked of Philemon. You see, in verse 15 and 16, Paul writes uh, very clearly this. He says, perhaps this is the reason he, that is Onesimus, was separated uh, from you for a while so that you might have him back forever, no longer a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you missed that the first time, there is a dynamic of relationship that's at work here between three characters, Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. Onesimus was Philemon's slave. And he was not just a slave, he was a runaway slave. And as a runaway slave, there was a certain penalty that he could assume would take place if he were ever caught by being a runaway slave. You see, if Philemon ever found him, or if anyone Philemon knew ever found him, the immediate action should be culturally death. And so you have Philemon with his runaway slave Onesimus, who he's not seen in years, who traveled from Colossae, which is where Philemon is from. Colossae is, think, think about Turkey in your mind, right? And Turkey has this kind of big, uh, big uh, coastal region. And all up from the coast, in the middle of the country, is Colossae. Paul was under house arrest, imprisoned, all the way down at the coast, somewhere between Ephesus and Miletus. And so you have Paul on the coast, Colossae up in the mountains, uh, in the center of Turkey, and, and Onesimus has made it scotch-free. There is no longer a worry because he has gone so far away from Colossae that he is no longer looking behind him to wonder who is coming. This might be evidence that a number of years have, have passed, uh, this is definitely evidence of the kind of freedom that Onesimus is feeling. And, and then what, what uniquely happens in this is the third character of the story enters in. There's Philemon, the slave owner. There's Onesimus, the slave, who's now a runaway slave. And then there's Paul. Paul the pastor. Paul the evangelist. Paul the one who planted the church in Colossae. Paul, the one who had a relationship with Philemon, who converted Philemon to the faith. And so you have Onesimus, who's a runaway slave, scotch-free, all the way there on the coast, and he runs into Paul. We don't know how, we don't know what took place, but all we know is that uh, he converted to the faith, became a Christian under Paul's leadership, and, and, and under that uh, conversion, he then, quote-unquote, becomes incredibly useful to Paul. It doesn't describe how we could imagine. 
We could imagine that Paul, who is incarcerated under house arrest, uh, needs him to run errands, needs him, uh, needs him to send letters, needs him maybe to scribe, needs him uh, to, to, to accomplish certain tasks that he can't. Maybe Paul is hearing about certain people who are right at the edge of converting to the faith, and he sends Onesimus out to reach out with the gospel of grace and the love of Jesus Christ and, and share that with them. And so he's become a brother in the faith in such a powerful way that Paul and he develop an intimate relationship. And I could only imagine the setting. That moment that Paul realizes who Onesimus is. I imagine that Paul's under house arrest and, and Onesimus is there with them and they're talking and Onesimus is talking about the power that the gospel of Jesus Christ has had in his life and what freedom means to him, not only as one who's been freed from sin, but someone who's been liberated from the actual chains of bondage, from the slavery that he experienced. And Paul asking and inquiring, tell me more about this slavery. Where are you from? How did you become free? And then Onesimus, almost in a, a confession, sharing with Paul and telling him, uh, I, I wasn't set free by, by my master. I made myself free by running away. Well, culturally, that would have been perceived as a sin against the master with penalty of death. And so Paul inquires more, where are you from, Colossae? Oh, I know Colossae. Well, I built a church there. And Onesimus says, oh, you did? Uh, who was your master in Colossae? Paul might have asked. And Onesimus would have had the choice at that point in time. Do I share with this one who knows Colossae well, who might even know my master, the, the full testimony of my story, or do I pull back from it? Do I exit out of relationship with Paul? Do I continue my fleeing? What choice do I make? And so there in this moment, Onesimus finds the boldness in Christ to share with Paul that Philemon was his master. And almost as though it's not a surprise to Onesimus, Onesimus would have then heard from the lips of Paul, oh, I know Philemon well. Just as I taught him of the grace of Jesus Christ, uh, I taught you. You are my son in the faith. He is my son in the faith. I am the father of the both of you. So then Paul has a choice. What does Paul do at this time? Does Paul, uh, does Paul allow Philemon to stay with him, protected under the guise of his uh, self-made runaway slave freedom? Or does Paul uh, kill him because that was the cultural penalty and price that was to be paid? Or does Paul send him back to Philemon and hope for the freedom that was once gained by running away to be gained out of Philemon's generosity of spirit? So now are you following with me? Now we have these three characters and the stage is set for what takes place. I want you to know the Bible is interwoven together in really fantastic ways. And this is one of the ways that gets me super excited. Okay, so uh, we have a letter to the church in Colossae. It's called Colossians. Uh, so Colossians is written from Paul to a church. And this letter is written uh, within months of the letter that we just read. 
And, and so whenever you, you read Colossians, you should read Colossians in the light of the letter that is to come, in the light of the request that is to come. In fact, we know uh, that, that, that all of this is woven together. I'm going to show you a few ways. So if you still have your Bibles, we're going to go to Colossians, and you're going to see the connecting threads between Colossians and, and Philemon so that, that you can understand how these are related together. The first thing that we're going to do is we're going to look at the very end of Colossians, Colossians uh, 4.17. So you could see... Uh, so that you could see how uh, how we know that uh, that this uh, this whole instance happens in Colossae. So, uh, in verse seventeen of Colossians four, it says this: uh, Paul's writing and say to Archippus, "See that you have completed the task that you have received in the Lord." Archippus, Archippus, does that ring any bells? Uh, that was that weird name that Jason read at the beginning of Philemon, right? If you turn back to Philemon, uh, chapter one. Uh, verse, verse 2, Paul and Timothy write a greeting. The greeting is to Philemon, the greeting is to Aphia, and the, greement, the greeting is to Archippus, our fellow sh- soldier, and to the church in your house. All right, so now we have an understanding of the intimate relationship between Philemon and Paul. Paul writes in Colossians to Archippus and says, complete the tasks that I gave you. So Paul is giving Archippus tasks. But not only that, uh, Paul writes in Philemon that this whole letter is written to the house, the, the, the church that meets in the house of Archippus. So I, I think about whenever, whenever I planted this church. And I think about the relationships uh, that I shared with some folks whenever we were meeting in homes, whenever we were building relationships in those early stages. And I think about the tasks that we talked about needing to be accomplished one with another. And we talked about building launch teams and building uh, building groups and we talked about building setup teams and how everybody was going to be on a setup team every week for like like six months and 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 you know we weren't going to have four color groups but we we're going to have everybody doing everything every week right some intimate relationships are formed there there's a lot of commitment that's, re- that's required there we have one of our groups in, in this church has met at the same house Every week that, that this family has been in town since January 2012. That's like Archippus. All right? And so the relationship that Archippus has with Paul is substantial. And you understand that Philemon is a part of this intimate church meeting in this house. So that's the first way we know these two letters are connected. Uh, but it goes further than that. In Colossians 3.11, it gives some of the purpose of what's taking place here. We're going to read 9 through 11, actually, so that you see how, uh, how Paul is setting the stage for the letter to Philemon. In verse 9, it reads this in Colossians 3. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with, uh, with a new self, which, it, which is uh, being renewed in knowledge according to the image of the Creator. So this renewed knowledge, here's what it looks like. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all in all. Uh, I, I, th- I think that whenever I was uh, in English class in high school, they uh, describe that as, uh, what, what is that word for spoiling the ending? Foreshadowing? This is foreshadowing. Paul's writing a letter in Colossians telling them what they need to be thinking about when Onesimus comes. And so 
It's even more direct than that. I want you to see how direct it is. In Colossians 4, verse 9, Paul describes uh, that Tychicus is coming to them. So this letter is sent. It's going to arrive. And then there's Tychicus coming. And Tychicus is another one of uh, Paul's evangelists that works alongside of Paul. And in verse 9, he says that Tychicus is coming. And he is coming with... He is coming with Onesimus, the faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. So the letter of Colossians is read to the church, and Philemon is there, and Philemon is hearing. There is no longer slave or free, foreshadowing, now everybody in the church hears that Tychicus is coming with Onesimus and everybody would have turned their eyes to Philemon. And they would have had a month to two months or so to wait with bated breath wondering what is Philemon going to do when Onesimus no pressure everybody wants to know everybody is curious how this interaction is going to take place because as soon as Onesimus comes to the city gate uh, it could have very well been the case that Philemon is going to come out he's going to come with the soldiers and they're going to stone him right there at the city gate and no one would have been able to eject because that was the law. But the church has received word from the evangelist Paul. There's no longer slave or free. What are you going to do, Philemon? I wonder what the conversations were like in the house church for those weeks. <laughs> As they shared in the Lord's table day by day, I wonder what those interactions were like. Well, there are tons of persuasive arguments that, uh, that Paul uses in Philemon, but the one I want you uh, to focus your attention on is in verse 11. This is the one that gives me the feels as I read it. Um, because it, it, it describes clearly uh, Paul's understanding of, of, of a countercultural vision of relationship. Paul says this to Philemon Formerly, Onesimus was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me. How crazy is that? Slaves are valuable. Slaves produce uh, for the master. They are culturally the way at that point in time where you earned status and stature, where you gained your wealth, where you supplied for your family and your business and your industry. And yet Paul describes Onesimus at that stage as a slave, 
as utterly useless, having no value to you. And yet, when he returns and is expected by Paul to be set free, now he's useful to you. Not producing any physical gain for you, but he's useful to you because he is a brother in Christ, a co-worker in the harvest, bringing in, co-worker in the vineyard, bringing in a harvest for the Lord. What a transformed perspective. Now, I, I don't read anything. I, I wish I did. I wanted to, and, and, and I would love if I did, but I don't read anything in Philemon that tells me that Paul was, was setting a, a full-blown cultural assault uh, and that he, was, that he was making claim for everyone and every one of his churches to set all their slaves free and that slavery would be entirely abolished through Christendom. I wish I read that. I don't read that. But Paul is taking one rock and setting it on this mountaintop in this one place and inviting Philemon to set the second. There is so much to be proud of in our Christian heritage. But I want you to know this is one of the things I am most proud of. Because over the last 2,000 years, Christians have led the way in the freeing of slaves. You might not have known that because there is such a wretched history in our own American culture about the early uh, Christians' use of slaves to expand the... The, the, the fruit and the prosperous nature of this land. However, as early as the first century, we have documentation of not just Onesimus being freed, but of churches and house churches all across the Roman world freeing their slaves. Uh, th there's even this. So, so Ambrose, Ambrose is one of the early church fathers. Uh, so if you, if you don't know anything about early church fathers, all you need to know is these are folks from way, way, way back when that were really close to the early apostolic teachings, sometimes even contemporaneously, and they, uh, and they made uh, substantial uh, uh, spiritual uh, statements that, that offered wisdom to the whole of the early church. Ambrose was one of those. Ambrose said this. He said this. He said, The highest kind of liberality is to redeem captives, to save them from the hands of their enemies. And so here's what he did. In, in 378, he, didn't, he just didn't make statements. He also acted on them. So Ambrose did this. Uh, there were uh, two cities, Trace and Illyria, that were devastated by the Goths. And the Goths took uh, almost the entire culture of these two cities into, in, uh, into slavery. And so what Ambrose did was Ambrose used his own resources and bought those slaves out of their slavery and set them free in 378. You want to talk about things that were countercultural in the, in the 1700s and early 1800s? Look at that. In 378, the early church fathers saying, this is what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. Saint, 
uh, St. Christian in the 4th century also said this. He said, in Christ Jesus, there is no slave. Therefore, it's not necessary to have a slave. That's what he was teaching. It's not necessary to have a slave. And then he gave instruction. Here's his instruction. He said, buy them, and after you teach them a skill that they can then master and, and supply for themselves through it, then you set them free. It wasn't just buy a slave and set them free. It was buy a slave and teach them a skill so that then they can go and live and supply for their own lives. Fourth century. Augustine said this. He said, freeing slaves is an act of piety. Constantine in 315, made, it, made an edict as a converted Christian, offering the death penalty that in, for, for anyone that human trafficked children. He was more serious about it than we are. Lakey records, uh, 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 an early church scholar wrote a book, and he records... Uh, Uh, these uh, totals, listen to this. Hermes is a Roman prefect, and uh, in the the early church he converts, and he is accounted for freeing 1,200 slaves. Chromatius was also a Roman prefect. He freed 1,400 slaves. St. Ovidius was a rich martyr from Gaul, and get this, he freed five thousand slaves one man saint melania emancipated and freed eight thousand slaves this is my favorite are you ready for this in the early third century callistius callistius was a slave that converted to the faith, was freed by another Christian, and as a slave who had been freed, he became a priest, and then a bishop, and then the early Roman Catholic uh, Church writings account that he was one of the early popes of the church as a former slave. It's our heritage. It's who we are. As Christians. And it started with Jesus, and then it moved to Paul, and Paul took his own life and he put it on the line and he set up a mark in Colossae and said, Philemon, make yours. And in so doing, he invited the whole world to make their mark as well. So our challenge today might be to fight against human trafficking and slavery that still exists around the world and to join in that great line and lineage of Christian leaders that have stepped forward against such atrocities against our brothers and sisters. But I want you to know that God might be laying on your heart another injustice He might have opened your eyes to something else, some other way that that there is great evil in the world. And 
and he might be inviting you to make your mark in a very specific way in another circumstance. And whether you know it or not, you might be making a mark that can change the entire world. God calls us to do incredible, magnificent, great things. But almost always, it starts with that one that will take the first step. That is your invitation this day.